a lot of uh, med students don't get they don't get talked to about this as like how to really decide on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first major decision is. Welcome to Simulated Podcast. Too good to be true. <laughs> Officially live. All right. Ready? Yep. Let's do All it. Right. Welcome back to episode four of Simulated Podcast. We got Dr. Elliot Corey. He's actually an MD. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before we start, let me get a little background about who sure. you are as a doctor. You know, let's get into that first. Yeah. So um, I work in hospital medicine. I'm a hospitalist. Uh, specialty is internal medicine. Okay. Um, so I just recently became an attending physician. So my first full time, you know, congrats, congrats, adult, adult doctor job. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, that's the general job description. You basically, as a hospitalist, function as uh, sort of like primary care inside the hospital. Okay, okay. Um, kind of back in the day, you know, traditional you know physician jobs, you would be a primary care physician, and then when your patients got very sick and went into the hospital, you would admit them under your name and take care of them. Okay. Um, whereas nowadays, the hospital medicine specialty is uh, we kind of take over that role as inpatient. In oh, the okay. So we cover. That, that's new information for me as well. Okay. Yeah. But let's 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 rewind, turn back the clock a yeah. little bit. Just simple question, Doctor Elliot Corey. How does <laughs> one become a doctor? <laughs> it's a long process, man. Yeah, let's, <laughs> it's let's, a long let's process. Go high level. It's a uh, you know I've been at it since uh, since graduating from high school. So um, you know you have to do uh, usually an undergraduate degree. Um, you know, there's kind of two systems. I'm a, an international medical graduate, so I, I did my medical school outside of the United States, and there's okay. kind of two very different systems. But generally, uh, in the U.S., you would do um, an undergrad program, usually four years, uh, usually biology, but, you know, you can do any specialty you want as an undergraduate, um, any major you want. Um, you would apply to medical school, fill, uh, fulfill the prerequisites, which are usually, you know, biology, physics, chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, they have English requirements also. Um, you know, you'd check, you know, whatever medical school you're applying to, make sure that you've fulfilled the requirements. Uh, you'd do the MCAT, uh, which is an exam that uh, is very long and <laughs> yeah. very difficult. Um, and yeah, uh, apply to medical school, usually four-year programs in the U.S. Um, and there are some programs outside of the U.S. that are structured a little differently where you would do them right out of high school as a six-year program. Yeah, let's jump into the U.S. part. So you you recommended that you don't have to necessarily be a bio major, pre-med major, I'm guessing. So what are the type of majors yeah. would you kind of be okay with at, you know, applying into they're, med school later on? They're open to everything as long as you fulfill the prerequisites. So okay. as long as you have your, you know, your biology requirements, your physics and chemistry requirements, you have your you know, the English requirements, literally anything, anything okay, is don't. fine. Um, and honestly, from what I've heard and seen, a lot of times they prefer kind of an unusual path uh, yeah, yeah. to medicine. So, you know, most people do biology, but I've seen math majors. I've seen like music majors. It's uh, music majors. Yeah, what? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So in a lot of ways, it's a little it's beneficial. It's something that makes you stand out, you know, because yeah, yeah. it's such a competitive field. There's so many people applying that, you know, anything that makes you seem kind of unique is going to going to be very helpful to you. Yeah, I got to add some uh, little flavor in there cuz I was actually about like applying out of high school as a bio major yeah. and I didn't understand what it meant to be an impacted major, especially yeah. when you go to UC San Diego, UCLA. It is insanely competitive just yeah. to get into a biology program because they have a set number of students who will come in, you know, let them come into this university. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen psych majors go into, you know, even just doctor or nurse, you know, nursing school. Yeah. And it, it musician is psh, that's that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So what about the MCAT? Okay, when would you recommend a student to start their MCAT studies? Yeah, I mean, so I always recommend for people to take a course for the for the MCAT. Okay. It's incredibly hard to balance studying for that on top of, you know, the coursework that you're doing on a regular basis. Uh, so I, I took it, let's see, this was a long time ago. I, I took it, I think, uh, in my junior year of college. Okay. Like the um, summer or just like, yeah, I took, uh, a course over the summer to kind of prep me for it. Um, I, it was Princeton review, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good class to take. Cause the, you know, you, you set a target score for yourself at the beginning of the class and they kind of help you achieve whatever that, that target is. Okay. Um, of course, the the way they score the MCAT has changed actually a lot really? since I've since I've taken it. The test is very different. So what now is that, it now? So they've added some new uh, new topics to it. I think there's a lot more like uh, psychology and like sociology sections to it as well, which weren't Love there it. when I took it. But um, you know, when I took it, it was it was biological science, physical science, and mm-hmm. English were the kind of the three the three parts. But they've they've changed it some since then. But still, you know, I recommend definitely take a class. Um, it'll help prepare you. And then, you know, otherwise, unless you're a very organized person and, and structured and disciplined yourself, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have difficulty, especially if you want to get it done on time. Okay. You know, and that's one of the big, I think the big things in, in medicine, you have to keep pushing forward. And, you know, a lot of people get kind of stuck and they, they feel like they're never ready to, you know, take the next exam or to move on to the next step, but you're never going to be ready. You have to kind okay. of make the decision jump in and do it. One way to do that is to sign up for a course that'll force you into it. So you recommend going to Princeton Review? Princeton Review or, or any of them. There's a, you know, there's a, all sorts of different ones. I had my, my experience was with Princeton Review, which was, which was quite good. Okay. What, yeah. okay. What if I'm like, you know, just a very ambitious, you know, ambitious student mm-hmm. who's trying to get into, let's say Harvard, just, you know, out of, I don't know all the med schools, but you know, like a top notch type, top 0.1% yeah. med school, like what MCAT score should I get? I want to get into like Harvard or something med school. You know, honestly, the scoring has changed now, so I'm not sure exactly. Okay, back. I guess back in your time. Back in my time, you know, it's the score was out of uh, 15 for each section, and there were three sections, so out of 45, um, I scored I think a 33, which is kind of like 89, 90th percentile, which is really good. You can talk about percentiles. You you want to get in that range or above if you're if you're targeting those schools, and 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 you want your GPA to be the roof <laughs> okay like See, a 4.0 like a 4.0 did they how far back do they look like and what else do they look at like do they look at high school do they look at college and college yeah what i about don't i don't dissertations they, writings up yeah, yeah anything like what do they look at the the big thing is is your gpa um and then there's a science gpa so they look at kind of the gpa of just okay. the science courses as well um that's an important thing that's probably the number one thing is is the gpa and then two is the mcat score um, and then kind of everything else is kind of secondary to that. You have, you know, your, any research that you've done, any publications, any, um, and it's rare for someone that early to have, you know, full on publications, especially in, in the health field. But, um, they look at that, they look at like community service and things like that. But, um, what would be your recommendation for students right now? Like maybe they're studying for the MCAT today. What would, and you know, it's a summer, right? Summer's mm-hmm. coming up. Yeah. What would be your recommendation? Like you mentioned prints and review, but what about the secondary stuff? Like I'm guessing they look at it. They do. I mean, honestly, any any kind of research background, if you, you know, work in a lab or you, you know, you have a a research project that's that's published, uh, that's gonna help. 
Um, but like I said, that's all secondary, but that's going to help. And especially if you're targeting kind of those uh, yeah. big, big name programs, you're going to want to stand out as much as possible. What are like the big name programs in the U.S.? Um, for medical schools, you know, the, I mean, the Ivy Leagues are all are all big mm-hmm. um, things, you know, UCLA and USC over here, um, Stanford, uh, Washington. Shout out to Huberman. Shout out to Huberman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are all great programs, you know. Um, yeah. There's... And then, okay, so now you're applying for medical school. I understand there's the MD side of it, but what about DO? Yeah. Like, I'm sure that that's a lot of people, at least in my circle, are like getting their DOs now. Yeah. And how different is that really, getting an MD and a DO? Yeah, it's fairly similar. Um, there's a couple differences. So uh, DO programs are specific to the, to the United States. They don't exist outside of the U.S. Good to know. And they were really created because there was a shortage of physicians in the U.S., it's very very similar to MD, and the the training is is almost exactly the same, except they do a lot more of um, kind of like body manipulation and mm-hmm. you know j- joint stuff, and you know it's 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 a little bit more kind of hands on and kind of body manipulation. That's the one thing that's a little that's kind of added on, but for the most part, it's very similar. You know, um, they do the same exact jobs as an MD physician. Yeah. What, what, um, what specifics are you talking about body manipulation? Or? Um, like adjusting joints and, okay. and, you know, things for pain and, th- and things like that. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a DO, so yeah, I, I don't yeah, know yeah. exactly what they do, but that's kind of the, the differences from what I've been told. Okay. And then, you know, unfortunate case, you don't get into a medical school in the U S of your choice, mm-hmm. but then I understand there's options like the Caribbeans and then you mentioned international programs. Yeah. Yeah. I even looked at going to London and India to, you know, Oh yeah. Start my medical journey and just skip the four year program. Right. So what are the other options? There's a ton of options. Um, so, and actually the, uh, there's a huge chunk of physicians in the U S that are international medical graduates, like a a huge percentage. Um, and, um, like, what are you talking? So, I mean, ballpark. Ballpark, I don't, you know, I'd have to look this up. Okay. I honestly can't uh, give you an exact up, number. We can, we can have Jamie pull it up. Yeah. Hey, Jamie, <laughs> can you pull up this tag real quick? <laughs> but it's a huge percentage. And okay. um, every every year, you know, when you're going through your interviews for residency, you'll run into people from every country in the world okay. um, that are applying for, for residencies here in the, in, in the U.S. that were international students. But, um, you know, the Caribbean is is very big. You know, there's a lot of uh, graduates from the Caribbean that, that come and do their, uh, their residency here in the U.S., um, and then, you know, a lot of people, uh, big chunk of, uh, physicians coming in from India, um, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all over the place, all over the place. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good option. It's a bit of a, can be a little bit more challenging kind of making it, making your way back to the U S cause how so, how so would it be more challenging? Well, so my experience, so I, I did my medical school in Lebanon. Um, yeah. it's, you know, it's medicine is hard everywhere. Everywhere you do it, um, if you're doing if you're doing it in other countries, you know, my program was in English. But mm-hmm. when you start doing your clinical rotations where you work in hospitals, um, you have to kind of adjust to whatever the population speaks. You know, so yeah. I had to pick up a lot of medical terminology in Arabic, Oof. Um, which you know is is useful now because you know you yeah, some, yeah. occasionally you'll you'll run into a situation where you need to use another language. Um, yeah, it's with your patients. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It, it's occasionally useful, but um, that's a challenge definitely. Um, having to kind of adjust and even you know I I grew up speaking Arabic, but you know mm-hmm. medical terminology is very very. I can different. I can only imagine. Right? Yeah. And then you have to kind of create time for yourself to kind of do the um, exams for a residency, so the USMLE exams. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be difficult just because uh, the USMLEs are the one way for international students to stand out. 
because mm-hmm. you're you're at a disadvantage. You know, you're applying from another country. Um, you want to stand out as much as possible. And the the one way that international students usually do that is with the USMLE by scoring very high on the USMLE. Okay. Um, so you have to make sure that you're putting a lot of time and effort into studying for that and prepping and getting a very good score so that, you know, you stand out and that you, uh, um, you know, increases your chance as much as possible to get a residency program. But then you end up becoming a better doctor, I would imagine, right? It, it, it helps. Yeah. It helps. You know, a lot of uh, the international yeah. medical graduates I know are some of the most intelligent people I've ever met, awesome. you know, um, and it, it helps putting all that effort in, you know. So the USMLE, the way I understand, there's three steps, right? Step one. Step two, step three. Yeah, Could and, you kinda... and things are, things are changing in the you know they've changed in the last few years as well. So okay. uh, initially, so there was step one, which is kind of like a more of a basic sciences exam. You're you generally take that after your first two years of medical school, which are kind of like your your um, kind of basic science years where you're you're in class, you know, you're attending lectures and like you would in 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 uh, uh, in, in college, you know. Okay. Um, and step one is kind of a basic sciences exam. Um, step two is in two parts. There's a clinical knowledge and a clinical skills section. The clinical knowledge is, uh, kind of more clinical questions. So they give you like a patient, you know, scenario. They, you know, you have to make either a diagnosis or they ask you what's the next best step in the management of someone with this diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and then the clinical skills part would be, uh, kind of, a uh, an exam that's done, you know, over a day with like simulated patients where okay. you'd go into um, a room, they'd have a you know, bunch of stations set up. Each room is a different patient with a different clinical presentation. You have to interview them, do a physical exam, go outside of the room and type up a note and then put your kind of what you think is going on and w- what you would do to manage it. Um, that I believe they, they got rid of that over COVID <coughs> because, you know, it was difficult to get people, you know, live in person to do that. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the, the things that that's changed recently. And I believe they also have uh, changed step one and they made it more of a pass fail exam now instead of actually giving you a, a score on it. Is that good or bad that it's pass fail, right? It depends as, as a, Med student come, you know, in, in the U.S., that's probably good because, you know, it's mm-hmm. less stress on you. But like I mentioned before, as an international medical graduate, the really the best way you have of distinguishing yourself is by scoring very well on those exams. And especially step one. Step one is uh, the biggest stressor for every medical student in the world. Yeah. Um, and by, you know, th- and that's how that's how you, uh, you know, you you show that you're you're unique and you're, you know, um, cause you're at a disadvantage when you're applying. The one way to show, to show how good you are is by scoring really well on this exam. And now that it's pass fail, you know, they kind of take that away. And the only, you know, option you have is, you know, your step two score. That's okay. the one thing that's still, you know, kind of graded. What can you expect? I guess now, you know, you're done with step one and now you're doing clinical rotations, which goes into the step two sounds like, right? Yeah, exactly. What can you expect in clinical rotations as a, you know, yeah, so med you're, school now? You're going to, this is going to be the best time <coughs> to kind of figure out what you want to do long term. You know, there's a lot of subspecialties in medicine. It's very uh, kind of divided up. You have a lot of medical specialties, a lot of surgical specialties, some specialties that are in between and kind of incorporate the two. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of experience going, you know, doing every you know, the kind of the major subspecialties. So, you know, internal medicine and general surgery are like the big, the big ones. Yeah. And you've got like, you know, neurology, you do like ENT, OBGYN, psychiatry. Um, you get experience in kind of all those fields. That's the best time to really kind of decide what works for you. Um, 
what would be your recommendation for someone who's going through the clinical rotations, getting exposure to everything A to Z? Yeah. How do they know it's, this is the one for me? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, that's, and that's one of those things that actually a lot of uh, med students don't get, they don't get talked to about this as like how to really decide on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first major decision is whether or not you want to do a medical specialty or a surgical specialty because the lifestyles are very different and um, I think the people are very different that <laughs> go into them. Okay. Um, you have to have a certain personality type, I think, to be a, to be a surgeon and you have to be willing to put up with a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to say abuse, explicit. but I want to say. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can say bullshit. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you, I, you know, as a uh, medical student, as a resident, you put up with a lot of bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. you have to deal. With, I always tell people it's more of a marathon than than anything else. You just have to endure so much, and then eventually you'll get to a point where you know where you're successful and do and doing well. But the lead up to it is is a long, arduous process. So wrap it back. So yeah. how do you kind of what do you mean by lifestyle of a doctor and yeah. surgeon or what was the other? And and, and medicine specialties. Medicine so specialty. Medical specialties are kind of more you're uh, doing a lot more work with your mind as far as diagnosis and, and treatment and prescribing medications where uh, surgery is a lot of hands-on work. Um, and, you know, and, you know, they say a lot of the, the best surgeons are, are good medicine physicians as well too. You know, they have a good knowledge base and they're, they're good at working with, with their hands. Um, so, like I said, the first big decision is kind of deciding which path you want to take from those two. And then kind of the next step is you kind of want to look at the day-to-day life of those doctors and, and what that's like and if you can see yourself doing that. There's some specialties that are a little easier to, as, as far as lifestyle, where, you know, if you want to have a good family and home life, mm-hmm. you can. There's a lot of specialties where it requires a lot of sacrifice. Um, you know, things like... Uh, like neurosurgery where, you know, the training is, you know, nine years or so, you know, things like that require a lot of sacrifice. You have to be willing to be on call a lot, you know, woken up in the middle of the night. If you have to take a look at, you know, whether you're, the specialty you want to do has, emer- you know, emergency cases where, you know, you would be called and woken up in the middle of the night. Um, some people want nothing to do with that and just, okay. you don't want to do a standard nine to five job and which is available to certain specialties like that. But, um, you know, I don't know it's like dermatology a little bit less in you right. know, traumatic incidences. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. Dermatology, ophthalmology. There's not a ton of emergencies. There's mm-hmm. a few rare emergency cases, but there's not a ton of emergencies, and they often have you know pretty comfortable you know office office jobs. So run that back. Which which medical specialties? give you a bit more of a work-life balance, I guess. Work-life, I would say dermatology is a big one, definitely. Yeah. I would say ophthalmology. What's, what's ophthalmology, ophthalmology for, the, for, the, for, the, for the eyes? Okay, okay. Eye doctor. Um, those are the good ones. Psychiatry, too. I think psychiatry is nice. And then uh, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, I don't know if you're planning on having a talk with our friend Prince, but yeah. a lot of psychiatry now is, um, ever, especially since COVID, there's been a big move towards uh, telemedicine. So where yeah. things are kind of done virtually. And I think he's doing that right now, he right? Is, yeah, he is. And um, it's not just, you know, psychiatry is is one where that can work because, you know, you, you're not really relying on doing a physical exam and having to look at, you mm-hmm. know, physical exam findings, listening to someone's heart, you know. Um, a lot of it can be done through conversation. Um, so is there any loss of patient care in that, in that, in the telehealth in that 
certain it's, spaces? It's hard to say. Sometimes, you know, it, uh, that would be more of a question for Prince, I yeah, would yeah, think. Yeah, but yeah. occasionally you'll have, you know, patients that have, you know, psychosis or, mm-hmm. you know, they're not in a state where they can communicate very well. Um, often, you know, the kind of figuring out what's going on might be a little challenging just because of the lack of communication. But um, also, I think you sometimes you need to be able to kind of read the room a little bit. Yeah. And, just to it kind of gives you more of a of an idea of what's going on. A lot of doctors have kind of kind of intuitive sense of yeah, yeah, soft skills what's happening, yeah. especially in psychiatry. You know, you really can pick up on what's happening just by kind of reading the room and how people interact with each other and, and that kind of thing. So I think that might be maybe a little bit limited, but for the most part, um, from what I've seen, they you know people doing telemedicine can work pretty well. Okay, what about the opposite? Where which uh, specialties in the medicine in the medical field are you getting like crazy work hours calls in the middle of the night yeah like what are, what are those so the, the, a lot of that would be uh, so surgical specialties mm-hmm. um is that orthopedic know, orthopedic is under is under that umbrella too so um orthopedic you know fractures um you you're getting woken up for that as well um a lot of general surgery stuff you know sometimes there's emergency surgeries that need to happen mm-hmm. um anything where there where you need an intervention Okay. So, um, cardiology, especially, you know, you have people coming in in the middle of the night with heart attacks that need to be taken to the cath lab and have stents placed, you know, immediately, you know, it's a very time sensitive, uh, time sensitive thing. So those would be the more high stress jobs. Um, but also, you know, jobs that tend to pay a lot are the ones where there's a lot of interventions where you're, um, you know, having to, you know, bill for doing procedures. So, so things it's like, a balance yeah. game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So really, so as, as like a, uh, you know, med student before you go into residency, you really got to gauge what you want, you know, because you're doing this every single day. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I think, um, like I said, decide on medicine versus surgery, whichever one fits you the best, and then kind of look at the day-to-day life and uh, think about, is this something that I can, uh, I can do or I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life? Um, regardless of what it is, expect it to be challenging and, and difficult and you having to put in a lot of hours because, um, there's no getting around that. Even, um, these, you know, jobs, the specialties that are a little bit lighter, a little better on work-life balance, even then, you know, during training, you're put through a lot of, uh, you know, long work hours and Mm -hmm. you have to deal with being fatigued and all that stuff. I'm sure it's super competitive. Like how competitive, let's say is, I'm not calling it easier than, you know, the work, like where the work-life balance is better. How competitive are those residencies like dermatology, right. like you mentioned? Yeah. Right, dermatology and, and ophthalmology are are um, also very high paying specialties. So mm-hmm. you're getting paid a lot, and you have a good kind of uh, work life balance. So it's going to be insanely competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are kind of the top. Uh, you know, usually you have to be ranked sort of at the top of your uh, your class to you know okay. apply for these. Uh, so it's super difficult. Absolutely. And absolutely. I would imagine also plastic surgery would be plastic surgery like is up just there too. like yeah. competitive, but also traumatic. As well, like you might have to deal with because yeah, of yeah, absolutely. facial surgery or something. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another thing is uh, I know a lot of people that are hypochondriacs and you can't be that if you're a, uh, if you're a physician. You know, there's a thing called uh, med student syndrome okay. where everything you really you start to learn about in medical school, you start to see those symptoms in yourself. Okay. And you can't, you know, it, I, I know some people like that and I would never recommend that they go into <laughs> medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. You're just like, Oh my God, I got to fix myself now. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> even little things, you, know, you start learning about your ur- urinary sin- you know, symptoms and you're like, I can't even go to the bathroom without thinking that I'm going to die. You know? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So don't be hypochondriac <laughs> and be a doctor. 
Okay, so what what can I expect now? You know, I I chose my my field of residency. What can I expect as a as a resident? Yeah. So, um, I can speak from an internal medicine standpoint. Yeah. So, internal medicine residency is is three years. Okay. Um, it's uh, a very broad field. So, and it allows you to kind of, if you want to go into a fellowship afterwards, you can do a lot of kind of subspecialties, and we we can talk about those. But as a resident. Um, most programs in the U S especially are very like what's called front loaded where the, your first year as an intern is going to be your heaviest year. They're just going to slam you with work okay. and you're going to be miserable for the whole year. But as you move on to the second and third year, your life gets a little bit easier as you go. Um, uh, my program was a little different where, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had kind of less hours as, uh, um, as an intern and kind of added on responsibilities as you um, as you moved on in the program. But most programs are very, very heavy first year. So go in there expecting that. A lo- some places will kind of throw you into the deep end and be like, just put you in a situation. It's like a little hazing little thing, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Um, some programs will do that. I, I never felt like that at, at my program. That's good. Um, I went to uh, St. Luke's Hospital in, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, in West County. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to, <laughs> to St. Luke's. Yeah. Um, but definitely expect to work very hard. Expect to work long hours and to not get paid adequately for the hours that you're putting in. Yeah, so let's let's deep dive into the residency. So like I'm, you know, it's right now it's May 31st. You know, in June, a lot of residents are now mm-hmm. starting. You know, they're probably having a good time right now on vacations and oh, whatnot, yeah, yeah. but also scrambling to I'm sure to find an apartment or you know living right. situation because they're going left, right, up. You know, God yeah, knows yeah. where, but. Now, as a resident, you say you got to work crazy long hours. Like, how many hours are we talking on average, so you know, or range-wise? Nowadays, um, the the ACGME has like requirements for you know they put limits on how long people can work for. Um, what's what's ACGME? So that, that's a, a group that kind of governs the rules for okay. for residency. Um, so they put limits. So back in the day, you could they could make you basically live in the hospital oh, gosh. <laughs> and there was nothing you could do about it. But now there's, there's limits. Cause they've noticed that, you know, there, there's a lot of problems, you know, if you, if you go about things like that, there's, you know, people go through depression. There's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you've seen in the news, there's certain, you know, residencies where people have committed suicide and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, um, they really want to make sure that it's a safe environment. You know, you want, you can't be working, you know, 36 hours straight and then go to, you know, drive home and you're falling asleep at the wheel and things like that. You know, they just want to avoid those types of situations. But, um, most programs will have a, like a day team and a night team. So, mm-hmm. you know, you'll work on your call days, you know, you'll work your, do admissions during the day. And then another team comes over, uh, overnight and takes over at 7 PM and works from 7 PM to 7 AM. A lot of programs are doing that now. Um, my program was still kind of on an older system where we would do um, overnight shifts. So as on 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 call day, you would work um, twenty four hours, and then you'd have kind of four hours to kind of finish your work after that and and go home. So up to like twenty eight hours in the hospital at, at one time. But if you do that, you have you're required to have a certain number of hours off after that. Okay. Um, you're not allowed to do more than a certain number of days in a row. Um without having a day off you're required to have a certain number of days off over a month um so it's very you know regulated now that's good yeah i think it's for i think it's for the best um a lot honestly a lot of older docs will will kind of 
they kind of look down on it in a way. They're like, oh, you don't <laughs> know. Looking you know, back by day. Yeah, you know, you guys are weak nowadays. You don't know what 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 we had to go through. But you know, really, it's it's a lot better okay. because um, you know, you you can't be torturing people. Yeah, yeah, and you I'm know, sure like you know, their 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 mind gets all foggy and it's not you know. Yeah, you want to be sharp. Your cognitive it's, functions are not, you know, at its max capacity. Exactly, right? exactly. And you're you're doing a job where you know people's lives kind of depend on the decisions that you're making, and you want to be as sharp as possible. Yeah. So you know, we're talking about like you know the med the med life is a marathon, but now you're like at the middle of the marathon as a resident. You know, close mm-hmm. to being to the end. Yeah. Any other additional tips? You know, like sleep schedule, workout schedule, social schedules. Yeah. It help. It helps to have something to take your mind off of it. I think you know having a workout routine is, is very, very helpful. Um, COVID was a big problem for a lot of people. You know, the gyms closed down, mm-hmm. people were isolated, you know, you want to have people to talk to as well. You know, yeah. um, it helps to kind of form groups or connections. You know, you'll, you'll make friends during residency. You, you know, so a lot of people like to study in groups, study together, kind of push people to, you know, keep working. Um, th- that's always really useful. I think, Another thing for residents coming in, um, you're going to see a lot of like good practice and you're going to see a lot of very poor practice from different physicians. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to take as much of the good as you can and kind of leave the bad stuff where it is. Um, You want to, you know, kind of collect, you know, use other other people as an example and take all the, you know, the good things that they do and kind of try to avoid the negatives. Um, That's definitely a big piece of advice for people. Um, I think that's true for any anything in life, right? Even with your parents and stuff, you take the best of, you know, what they absolutely. can give you. Absolutely. And I'm sure like physicians almost like, you know, your mentor at that point, yeah, right? Yeah. The other thing I would I would really recommend is um, you know, things that are not med school knowledge, things like bedside manner. Mm-hmm. Those are things that you have to pick up on and uh are you know, very very useful skills to have. Um I can't tell you how big of a difference it makes just, you know, to the you patient. Know, to the patient. Just yeah. being able, you know, th- to give them the sense that you're listening to them. Because, you know, for, for you, you're seeing a ton of patients. You're jumping from room to room to room. To you, you know, you're spending six minutes. But for, for them, they've been waiting hours mm-hmm. for you to come in and see them, you know. So um, just, you know, give them the impression that you're you're it's their time and you're listening to them. And, you know, l- let them talk. You know, sometimes we're in a rush and we, we want to get things done as quickly as possible. But, you know, give, give them some time to feel like they're, um, you know, they've said what they need to say. Um, definitely is very, very important. And then, um, yeah, I think that's probably my biggest piece of advice to, to residents because that's not something that you're going to learn from other physicians. It's kind of how you approach dialogue and how, yeah. um, you know, how, how comfortable you make the, the patient feel. And then who's little... observing all the residents, you know, like live, like, is it the physician? Oh, yeah. like... So, um, as a resident, you are an employee of the hospital. So you're, you're, you have an MD, you're a functioning doctor, but you're in, you're still in, in training. So, um, a lot of times, sometimes, you know, usually te- there's teams in, in residency. So usually as a, you have an intern and a senior resident that are kind of grouped together or a senior resident and two interns, um, sometimes the senior resident, you know, especially early on in the rotation, will you know go and in, go into the room with you and kind of observe and g- give mm-hmm, you tips mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, a lot of times, you know, you can round on your own. You see the patients by oh, yourself, wow. but there's always an attending physician, yeah. um, who is responsible for those same patients. You would go and kind of present the case to to the attending physician and tell him kind of what you think, you know, what you know decisions you want to make, what treatment you want to do. 
um, and they'll kind of look over the case with you and kind of point you in the right direction, give you tips, tell you what you did right, what you did wrong. Um, I believe they're also required to physically go in and see the patient themselves too. Okay. So, so um, I, 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 I can imagine that's pretty nervous, you know, seeing maybe your first patient, first 10, 100 patients, like, yeah, did yeah. You, were you like that? Do you see, did you see other residents like that? How'd you get over yeah, that hump? Especially you know? because, um, so the, my program is very heavy on in, international medical graduates. So you have people who, you know, maybe their English isn't so great and they're, mm-hmm. they're coming in and seeing American patients for the first time. Um, there's definitely a lot of nerves, a lot of, um, I can imagine one other thing that I think, um, imposter syndrome is a very big, big thing in medicine and just know that everyone has, has it, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. um, you, you sometimes get the impression that you, you know, you're lagging behind other people that, you know, you see the way other people are working and you're like, you, you feel inferior in a way, not, don't ever think like that, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, imposter syndrome, just, you know, just for audience to know, so this is actually on the first episode. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's pretty popular in the millennials and gen, gen Z generation. Right. So like where it's like, you believe that your capabilities, I'd say that at this level, but then if you don't do the action or the deed that you need to do, but once you do it, you realize you're, you're, at a, you're like, you're really good at what you can do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just, you just gotta, you know, take the leap of faith and, you know, jump over the, yeah. you know, the yeah, yeah. cliff onto the next side and go get it done. Yeah. No, you people. Know? it's like Nike, just do it. Sponsor yeah. me Nike. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, um, yeah. yeah. A lot of people feel like they're, you know, they're not worthy of where they are, where, you know, yeah. you're, you always gotta remember you're still in training. You're still learning. It's, uh, Medicine is, is a lifelong learning process. You know, mm-hmm. even as an attending physician, you're not going to know nearly, nearly everything. You won't even be close to knowing everything. Um, you know, you're going to be relying on other people. You're going to constantly be studying, constantly reading, you know. Um, yeah, it's and everyone feels that way. So you still got to study as a resident? like that, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So you have to uh, at the end of your residency, you have to pass boards. So the, the board exam uh. is how you get licensed to practice. Um so you have to pass that, and kind of every year in residency, they do um, kind of a practice exam every every year. That's good um, to kind of gauge where you are to make sure you're on track to to kind of passing passing the boards. Okay, um, so how do you stand out as a resident? One, you said bedside manners. It seems like there's an exam, but like, yeah. how else can you stand out as like a resident? Because I imagine residents are about like eight, ten residents all at the same time. Right? Yeah. So the nice thing about residency is. Um, so a lot, a lot of you are kind of in the in the same boat. You're not really mm-hmm. competing with each other that much for, okay. for anything. That's good. The, the the one thing that you might be competing for is for a fellowship. So kind of a subspecialty later on, um, and it, it sort of becomes more kind of individual effort. Things that would help you stand out, you know, if you're applying for a for a fellowship, is definitely research. Um, that's a big thing. Um, and again, it's hard to have find the time to do that. Yeah. It's you know, you're, you're working. So on, you're, you're not allowed to work more than 80 hour average okay. a week. Um, but you know, you're still working, you know, at, usually at least 60 hours a week. That's you know, a lot. It's, it's a lot, it's draining. And to, you know, on top of that, to have to find, you know, a research project and do data analysis and all this stuff on the side and, you know, pu- write up a paper and publish it and send it into a, to a journal is it's, it's hard to find the time to do that. But you just, you have to do it, you know, that's, especially if you want a competitive fellowship. So in internal medicine, things like gastroenterology, cardiology are very, very competitive. And the only way to really stand out is for you to do, um, uh, uh to, to publish something, to have your mm-hmm. name out there in the, in the medical literature. Um, yeah, there was also step three, which we didn't 
Yeah, talk about step three, sure. Yeah, Let's so st- step three is a requirement for graduating residency as well. It's actually very similar to step two. Um, it's more. It's a two day exam actually. So okay. Um, it's very similar. They're all multiple choice questions or clinical scenarios. Um, but you also have this kind of second part of the exam where it's um kind of a like a live patient simulation. So um, you have a kind of computer program that you're working on. They present you with with this patient and then, you know, you order labs and stuff and you can move the clock forward and get lab results back. You know, you see if the patient's improving or getting getting worse. So there's cases you have to do that on on step three as well. But it's a it's a requirement to to graduate residency. And it's a big deal for a lot of of residency programs because a lot of people kind of uh, procrastinate on it. And a lot of people get to their last year and they still haven't done it. So it's, um, you know, for people who are trying to uh, really stand out, who are trying to get into residency, a big thing you can do is to finish step three early because program directors Mm -hmm. will see that Oh, you know, uh, it's it's a big deal to them that that you've you finished it because yeah, a lot yeah. of times they have to, you know, hunt people down and chase after them and be like, hey, where where are you at with step three? You know, so so how many hours would you recommend studying for step one, step two, and step three? You know, on you know a good it, it depends months out. You know, I'm talking about yeah. like months. I'm sure it just takes months. It really depends. You know, like I said, as an international graduate, because you're, you know, when it, for step one now it's a pass it's pass fail now. Mm-hmm. But when I was when I was taking it, you know, your your grade kind of really was one of the big determining factors of whether or not you would get into the res- a residency in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of people spent months and months studying for it. Even, you know, people people started studying for it, you know, a year in advance. You know, you're supposed to take it, you know, before, um, you know, after your second year of med school. But as an international, you know, you don't have a lot of time to do that. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will kind of finish med school, take some time off, you know, study and, and do the exam kind of after they're done with uh, okay. with medical school. But um, what about step two and step three? How long would you recommend studying and putting how many hours, months? Step step three, I think you can, you know, you're required, uh, you know, it was a requirement at my uh, program to do it in your first year of residency. Wow. So you just got to look at what where your schedule is, find out where you have kind of lighter rotations. Um, the one thing I would tell people is don't use your vacation time for, for <laughs> step three. <laughs> don't, um, you know, you want to study um, during your light rotations and sign up for it kind of at the end of a block of really light, like like kind of light rotations. Um, you know, I would say maybe like two months. If you have like two months of uh, kind of light rotations, study during those two months and then take it at the end. Okay. Um, as far as step one, you know, now that it's pass fail, it's less of a stressor. But, um, you know, we would study months in advance. And that was the other thing that, you know, people were always afraid to just go in and take the exam. You, you're, you never feel ready for it. You're never going to feel ready for it. You just have to kind of bite the bullet and be like, I, yeah. ca- I can't do more than I'm doing right now. Um, it's best to study in a, in a condensed <laughs> block of time. The more you kind of postpone and kind of drag things out, you're going to forget things. They're, you know, there's huge chunks of information that you need to memorize. Okay. Um, so kind of try to condense it into a kind of a short period of time, you know, blast through it, memorize as much as you can, go in and take the test, and then um, – yeah, that's really the only way. So now you're done with step three. You're done with your residency program. Mm-hmm. So now what are your options? I'm sure hospitals yeah, so, is one and, of them in, like you are. Yeah, and internal medicine, um, most people will work uh, either as a hospitalist or they'll work as a primary care physician. So those okay. are kind of the, the, the two kind of branches in internal medicine. Or the other option you have is to go into a fellowship. Um, so fellowships are anywhere from an additional you know, two to three years. Um, internal medicine is pretty broad. So you mm-hmm. have, you know, gastroenterology, cardiology, infectious disease, nephrology, um, hematology and oncology, 
Um, so a lot, lot of options really. Um, pul you know, pulmonary and critical care. Uh, those are all within internal medicine. Um, it really depends, you know, uh, internal medicine, there's a really big demand now, especially for hospitalists. Um, it, it's a job that is when you're working, the hours are heavy, but you have a lot of kind of time off. So most people in, as, who work as hospitalists will work seven days on and seven days off. Okay. Um, it's a very nice schedule if you want to, you know, raise a family, mm -hmm. have kids, you know, you have time to, um, time for part that. of life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's a very in demand specialty. So there's a lot of people that, you know, push to do fellowships and subspecialties and things like that. There's kind of uh, maybe a bit of a prestige factor yeah, yeah. to it, but, um, you know, hospitals jobs pay really well. They, you know, you're, you, you have a lot of days off to spend with your family it's a very, uh, I think, a very good specialty, and I think a, a lot of people should yeah. should consider it. What's okay? So let's deep dive into now. Hospitalist, like, what's the day in the life of a hospitalist? You know. Yeah. So um, I work as a nocturnist currently, so I do just night shifts in the hospital. Um, so I I am in charge of admissions basically. So um, people that are sick come to the ER. They're seen by an ER doctor. If you know they can be sent home, they'll be sent home. If they have something that needs kind of more long term treatment. They need to be admitted upstairs to the hospital. They'll give me a call. I'll come downstairs, discuss with the ER doctor, go see the patient in the mm -hmm. ER, and then I'm in charge of admitting them up to the hospital, take care of them overnight. During the day, they usually get reassigned to a daytime hospitalist. Mm -hmm. um, as a hospitalist during the day, you know, you're rounding on those patients on a daily basis. You're, um, uh, you know, changing treatment. You're uh, figuring out how you're going to get this person home. Do they need to go to a rehab facility? Do they need something else? Do they need to be seen by a specialist? You know, if someone, you know, has, uh, you know, a GI bleed in their stomach, they need, you know, procedure done. They need a, a GI doctor to come see them. You talk to a GI doctor, have them come by. So those are the things you're doing as an internal medicine doctor. Um, and yeah, uh, that's it. The, the, the work hours are long. Um, mm -hmm. but, like I said, you're work, usually working seven days on, seven days off. So that really makes up for it. So if, let's say I'm done with my residency, I'm trying to look for a hospitalist job. Mm -hmm. What are What's your advice there, you know, guidance there? Yeah. Um, like I said, it's it's very high demand and it really depends on where you want to go. So, I mean, in uh, in L.A., it can be a little, a little competitive sometimes to find sure. a job. But, you know, there are a lot of other states and cities where they're really in high demand and they're actively looking for people. So you'll, you'll see it when you're a, um, a resident, when you're kind of getting close to, to, to graduating, you'll get, you'll start getting tons of emails about positions that are opening up. Um, you know, they'll send you emails with like the pay, how much you get paid for working <laughs> in particular areas. There's a lot of underserved areas where the, the they'll pay you a ton of money to go there. Um, so, so they're really trying to recruit you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It really depends on how flexible you are. You know, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of residents that are married and have kids. So it becomes a little more challenging to kind of move your, uh, move your family around every yeah, so yeah. often. So a lot of people kind of just want to settle down in one area. And yeah. I would, I would imagine as a fellowship, you know, you, you have limited options of where you can do those fellowships. Don't it depends. you just still move your families? And yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of times you, I mean, you have a say in where you apply, but a lot of times, you know, to if, if you really want to do a particular a particular fellowship, you know, you want to apply across the board and like uh, all over the country and, you know, wherever you get in, it's the same as, you know, I don't know if, um, 
we haven't really talked about the match process, but that's uh, kind of how people get matched for residencies, the same way they get matched for fellowships. So, you know, you apply to a bunch of programs. They send invites for interviews if they like you. Mm-hmm. And then after the interviews, you know, you rank all the programs that you interviewed at from one to however many. And then the programs will rank all the candidates from one to however many. It all gets thrown into a computer program and they spit out one, either, you know, one place for each person or or no place if you don't if you don't match. Okay. Let's talk about that. The yeah. matching of residency first and talk it's about a big deal. matching it's, fellowship. It's a big deal. It's 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 all very similar. Interview, is that the interview process? Or yeah, so this is at, this, the match process is, is after the interview. Okay. So like I said, you send an application in wherever, you know, if you want to apply for particular fellowships, you choose which places you're applying to. If they like you, they'll send you an, an, inv- an invite to go interview with them. Um, the interview process is... Uh, you know, getting the interview invite is is a, a, a big, big step. A lot of the interview process, and I'd say especially more for, for like residencies, a lot of the interview process is just to make sure that you're not a crazy person. <laughs> that They want to make sure that they can they can work with you and you're not okay. going to be difficult to work with. You're not going to be, you know, um, you know, you have good, social, de- you know, decent social skills. You can communicate. You're not, you know, going to be a hazard to patients. You're going to be open to learning. Um, you know, they want to teach you to practice the, you know the, the proper way um so a lot of the interview process is is that and that's usually the advice i give people is like don't focus too much on trying to have you know the perfect answer and like rehearsing yeah you, you, you know you can rehearse but you want to sound natural you want to sound you want to be yourself and just come yeah. off as a as, as just the normal you know normal person that people would like to work with um after the interviews you know that's that's when you rank the programs and that's when the kind of the, the computer program fits in yeah you know, it's true in the, in, the, in the corporate realm, too. You know, every, every job I apply to in the interview process, they really try to see if you're easy to work with. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all they don't, they don't want. To, they don't want to butt heads. They don't want like, you know, this, this type of individual yeah. where it'd be difficult to work with. Yeah. Right? And so, that's actually in, in the in the residency interview process. One of the red flags from programs is if they start asking you about like, technical questions, if they start asking you, oh, if you get a patient that has this, what would you do? You know, how would you treat this? You know, that's. That's usually a red flag for the program because you know they they know everyone who's applying is an intelligent person. I mean, you've been mm-hmm. through med school, you you know how to study, you know how to learn. They want and they're expecting to teach you the way they want you to to, to practice. You know, the, that's why the focus is more on the social skills and kind of mm-hmm. how how you would fit into their team. And yeah, like you said, that's a um, pretty similar to I think how uh, interviews work in other places as yeah. well. You know, it's all about kind of finding the right fit. Um, I could only imagine the interview process being kind of difficult and all, almost a, as an interviewer. My question would be like, you know, why, why medicine? Why did you choose to go to med school? <laughs> like my, my cookie cut, I, I'm sure I have a cookie cut answer. It's like, <laughs> I love medicine. I want to be a doctor, right, you right. know, like, or I had like some traumatic, you know, family issues, you know, someone passed with so-and-so or someone is dealing with this disease at home. Like, I feel like that's everyone's answer. Right. So yeah what like how, like um, beyond like the being the social skills like be yeah. a little bit more specific what would you say in the interview process if i asked you yeah why do you want to be a doctor that's the first question that they'll ask you in every interview okay it's also you know when you're doing your applications you have to write a personal statement and that's the subject of the, of the personal statement so it's really something that you have to dig into i you know i don't know if i've even found a good answer for this it's you know what i can say is that they programs don't like to hear the kind of cliche answers the, mm-hmm. the i like to help people the um 
you know, the, uh, you know, everyone has an experience with a family member that's been sick, and you know that might that might be a driving force. It definitely would be, but I would definitely try to add on to that, not just rely on that to be mm-hmm. to be your answer. Um, you know, it you really have to find a personal connection to it and try to personalize it to yourself as much as possible. Um, you know, when I was applying, I had a uh, situation happen to me and when I was a, a medical student where I was a patient for, um, I had a food impaction where, you know, a piece of steak got stuck in my esophagus and I had to get a procedure to get it taken out. So oh, gosh. you got to, I, I got to experience life as uh, uh, from the patient side of things and it helps you kind of more um, empathize with how, how your patients are feeling, yeah. and, you know. The wait time, you know, you understand like, oh, they've been, you know, this patient person's been waiting for me for several hours, you know, it kind of affects how you deal with people. And, you know, I, I think that's a, a, a good way to approach that question is kind of uh, put your own personal experience into it and try to make it as unique to you as as possible. So you can put yourself in the patient's shoes almost, yeah. right? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, I guess any other advices you would give, like you gave advice, you know, on residency program, you know, uh, be an empathetic person, bedside manners is mm-hmm. very important. But any person who's trying to be a future resident or future doctor, any general advice? Yeah, the the biggest thing, like like I mentioned before, is that it's a marathon. It yeah. is uh, it is one big grind, and the most important thing is that don't get discouraged and don't. You're gonna feel like quitting. Every, everyone does, but you know it's you're gonna have to be able to put up with a lot of crap for a long period of time, and eventually it's it, it's worth it. Um, just don't feel discouraged. And, you know, there's, there's a culture in medicine also where they like to, uh, they, you know, they, they pimp you out on questions. They ask <laughs> you, you know, they, they put you on the spot. They kind of yeah. grill you for your knowledge of things. And it's easy to feel discouraged and to feel down from that. But it's, that's the culture of, of, of how it is, you know, in, in medicine. And don't feel discouraged. Keep pushing forward. I think that's really the best, uh, the best piece of advice. Yeah. And I'm it's, sure these questions are to see your problem solving kind of mechanisms right in your brain, right? Yeah. 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 They are. And it's a way to make sure that you're keeping up with, with the studying and that your knowledge base is, is there, you know, okay. there's no better way to encourage someone to, to study than to, you know, embarrass you in, in public. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that's some, that's some really good advice, but you know, you know, thanks for the advice. You know, I, again, just number one, biggest piece of advice, you know, for being a resident bedside manners, but overall medical school system, you know, from going into, it sounds like even undergrad to med school to resident, it's a marathon, right? It's a long, long process. Okay. Um, and it's it's very daunting if you're, if you're uh, you know, a college student right now and you're looking at all the stuff that you have to do moving forward. It's so easy to get overwhelmed and uh, discouraged. Yeah. One step at a time. Just don't don't look too far ahead. Look at what the next thing that you have to do is, and eventually, before you know it, you'll you'll be at the end of the road. You know. Yeah, yeah. But that kind of leads into one of my hot takes. Yeah. You ready for the hot takes? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay. I don't, I forget who told me this, and I don't even know if it's true. You can fact check me. But the USMLE system, or just the med school system, was designed by someone on who used to take a lot of cocaine when it was legal back in like whatever the twenties or whatever it was, because it was in, in this can of Coke, you know, sponsoring Coca-Cola. Um, you know, I don't, cause it's a marathon. Right? I actually had never heard that, but um, it wouldn't surprise me based on what I've seen. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of craziness. Cause you just like energize your body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to be, you have to be on and functional and your brain has to be work, you know, working at all hours of the day, you know, even mm-hmm. as an attending and even, you know, certain attendings, you'll get called in the middle of the night and you'll have to make a decision about a patient like, 
you know. So you can't be drinking and you know having. Well, there's on call schedules. Okay, okay. So that's uh, that's that's another thing is when you're applying is you look at on your on call schedules. You know, you'll you'll know the days where you need to be. Okay. <laughs> you need to be social. You, you need to be social <laughs> a little bit. I guess okay when you're off call, uh, hot take number two. Yeah. Does it bother you if? I don't know if people ask you for medical advice outside of that's work. That's expected, man. That's expected. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're going into medicine, expect that to be a normal part of your of your life. You okay. Know? okay. Your okay. friends and family all the time will call you for advice and um, will call you for a consultation over the phone. And you then, know? and that's just the that's just how life. There's is. no that's just how it is. There's no avoiding it. Okay. I mean, um, you can draw the line with some people and be like, hey, like I'm not gonna do this. Go see your doctor. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But you know. Often it's, you know, simple, simple questions you can answer. You give a little bit of advice, you know. No doctor knows everything either. You can always, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, that's another uh, good piece of advice for residents is like, don't ever be afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the worst thing you can do is pretend like you know something and make a bad decision. Gotcha. So, um, yeah. Worst thing you can do, you can tell people you don't, you, you don't know the answer and, uh, um, you know, have them see a specialist. But. Okay. Hot take number three. What about the the pay range when you're a resident versus when, you know, so yeah. the nurses get paid, you know, crazy amount of money, like, you know, $200,000 being a travel nurse, especially like, how does that kind of impact the, the workspace? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely. Tra- travel nursing is a very lucrative, <laughs> yeah. lucrative field to, to be in. Um, you know, as, as a resident, you're not getting paid any you know it's it's, it's very like minimal 60, so, it's like 60 grand or so right? it, yeah it depends on where you are um some anywhere between like 45 to 75 maybe mm-hmm. depending on what city you're in i think uh when i was applying i think staten island was like the highest paying okay that was starting around like 70 72 something like that um but again you're working you know at least 60 hours a week you mm-hmm. know as hourly that's it's negligible you know you're not you're not yeah, making yeah, anything yeah. um it's all temporary. So one, one one thing to keep in mind, you know, you you'll make money eventually, um, and that's another thing that like people, um, you know, it's it's not an interview answer, you know, to say that you're in the medicine and medicine to make money because it's yeah. that's a bad answer. There's a lot of easier ways to make money in the world than to be a doctor and you know go through all this, right? You know, uh, fatigue and 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 you know for like year, you're for in, years. you're in it you're in it for being a doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's easier ways to make money, but you're you're eventually going to going to make money. Um, I, I think av- average salary for physician is like two hundred sixty five thousand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a year, is about average. Um, so you're you're gonna make money eventually, and um, and that's one thing that uh, it's really probably uh, important for a lot of people to to plan for is um, kind of financially how you're gonna approach things because it's 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 a different different world you know um especially in california um working here so a lot of the physician jobs are, are 1099 jobs you're, you're contracted mm-hmm. and so a lot of uh jobs will require you to have you know like an llc or a, or an s corp to your name and then they you know they pay you through the company so um always a good idea to have a financial advisor someone to go to to help kind of manage this because it's it's a very complicated process and honestly for me personally i put all my brain power into what I do for a living and I don't want to think about anything outside makes of, sense, makes sense. outside of medicine. So, you know, get, get as much help as you, as you can get, you know? Yeah. I see, I see a lot, you know, I hear a lot at least where like, you know, a lot of doctors have the LLC one for the liability aspect, but mm-hmm. two to, you know, manage their finances in the best possible way. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
get financial advice. Yeah, That's yeah. another big, big piece of advice. Any, any last comments? Um, you know, I think we've covered most of it. Really, the big thing I want to emphasize is just keep going. One big grind. Keep going forward. You know, pick up as much, you know, positives as you can from your mentors and from the people around you. And it's all it's a one big kind of learning process. Yeah. The entire the entire thing, your entire career is going to be centered around learning and kind of improving. And even as when even if you're a certified physician, you know, you have to recertify every 10 years. So you're constantly having to pick up on new information mm -hmm. and and just for the sake of your patients, you want to make sure that your patients are all getting, you know, the most up to date kind of uh, medical treatment. So, yeah, um, keep learning, keep grinding. And that's just uh that's the life and then i'll add to that like you know don't be discouraged from like leaving you know or even just like changing majors when when you can as an oh, undergrad yeah. so I, I effectively did that. i got my biology degree but i got my mba right afterwards mm -hmm. right and you know i'm happy where i'm at and then you know other real life examples is jay sean i don't know if you know this but was in med school oh, dropped really? out when his singing career you know oh, pulled wow. through. so just yeah there are other options. If just because you're so deep in doesn't mean you can get out. Right, right, exactly. And I've I've known a lot of people that have uh, switched careers mid through, you know, mid midway through. I've you know one of my uh, uh, or the guys who was with me in medical school, you know, mm -hmm. switched over to engineering, you know, two years into into medicine. It's a completely different field, you know. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to do that. But you want to make sure you have long, kind of long term goals. You want to be working towards something. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, you don't want to be jumping from one career to the next every couple of years and end up, you know, having to restart every every yep. couple of years, you know, you want to be working towards, towards a goal. Yeah. And you can, you know, and it, it's never too late to figure out what that is. Um, there's people who switch careers, you know, all the time, but um, make sure you're working towards something. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Elliot Corey. Yeah. Thank you for tuning it's in to episode here. four on Simulated Podcast. You're always welcome back. Good, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. See you next time. Peace. Right. Sounds good. Cut. Yeah. Woo! That was good. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>